0: All right, you're there in in Luke chapter number 10, and I'd like you to look at verse number 25 this morning, Luke chapter number 10, and if you notice down at verse number 25, uh, the Bible says this in Luke chapter number 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And I'm not preaching about this this morning, but Jesus often asked that question How readest thou? You know, what uh, he expected them to be reading the Bible to get their answers from the Word of God. And in verse 27, the Bible says, And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. And thy neighbor as thyself. If you remember last week, we uh, began a, a short two part series on the subject of the greatest commandments. And we saw from a different passage how Jesus had stated that the two great commandments in the law are to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And then he said the second one was like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Last week, We dealt with what is required of us in regards to loving God when we love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. If you didn't listen to last week's sermon, I'd encourage you to go on our website and listen to it. It kind of... gives you a little bit of the foundation in regards to what we mean by, by loving God. This week, though, I want to deal with that second part, that second greatest commandment. Because here's what Jesus said. The entire law is fulfilled in these two commandments. If you can figure out how to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself, then you'll, 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 you'll fulfill the rest of the law. Because you're not going to steal from someone when you love them as yourself. You're not going to kill someone when you love them as yourself. You're not going to blaspheme the name of God when you love them with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And we talked about that last week. This week I want to deal with that second part. And notice in verse number 27, he said, Love uh, uh, and thy neighbor as thyself. Notice what Jesus says in verse number 28. You have this lawyer who comes to Jesus. and I want you to notice in verse 25. Before I get too too far into it. The lawyer stood up and tempted him. Okay, This guy did not have uh, good motives. He was trying to catch Jesus in his words. He was trying to get him to to say certain things. To make him uh, seem a certain way. And, And Jesus said, well, what is written in the law? What does the law tell you to do? How readest thou? And he said, well, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Verse 27. And thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 27. And then in verse 28, the Bible says, and he said unto him, thou hast answered right. This do. And thou shalt live. Jesus says to him, go, you're right, do that. That's what you need to do. Now, that should have been the end of the conversation uh, right there. But notice, because this man, uh, his motives were not right. Because he had ulterior motives, verse 29, but he, willing to justify himself. See, this guy was was not interested in the truth. He was interested in how he looked and how he was perceived. And that's usually when we get ourselves into trouble when we're willing to justify ourselves. The Bible says, But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, Notice, and he asked this question. He says, who is my neighbor? Because Jesus says, hey, you're, you're right. The Bible is very clear. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might." And then he says, love thy neighbor as thyself. But he, he's trying to get out of that. He's trying to not have to, you know, to be able to say, well, that doesn't apply to me or that, that's not exactly clear. So he asks this question. He says, well, who is my neighbor? And this allows, this is the context in which we get one of the greatest parables that the Lord Jesus told, one of the most famous parables that Jesus told, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I want you to understand that when Jesus gave this parable, when Jesus gave this lesson, gave this teaching, He was giving it to answer this question, Who is my neighbor? Who is that neighbor that I'm supposed to love? Who is that neighbor that I'm supposed to love as myself. And uh, for those of you that maybe aren't too familiar with the Word of God, I want you to notice that a parable is a a story that Jesus would tell. It's a, a fictional story. It's an illustration that He would give to help teach a spiritual truth. And He begins to tell this story. And I want to very quickly this morning give you four things that we learned from the Good Samaritan in regards to what it means to love our neighbor and what love requires of us. Look at verse number 30, and the Bible says this, and Jesus answering said, and he begins this parable, he says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So you have a man traveling down the road. He's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He, he, he just happens to cross the wrong crowd. They, they, they take his clothing. They, they wound him. They steal from him. And the Bible says they left him lying there, half dead. Look at verse 31. And by chance, there came a certain priest. Now, a priest is a religious leader. A priest is not just a religious leader, but he's a, a, a national uh, type leader, not the national leader, but someone that the society there, that the, that the Israelites would look at as a leader in the community. And the Bible says, there, by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, notice what the Bible says, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He's going down the road. He sees this man lying in a, in, in a pool of blood. He sees this man, you know, laying there half dead, barely breathing, you know. And, and when he sees him, Here's what he does. He crosses the street and goes another way. He he passes by on the other side. And here's what you gotta understand about this priest. He couldn't be bothered. Now here's what I here's what I think about this priest. The, these men are traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay? It's not like they're just going down the street in a residential neighborhood. They're traveling on, on what we would consider a, a highway or, or, or a way. There's nothing out there. The reason they're traveling is because they have somewhere to go. They have somewhere to be. Someone is expecting them in, in, in uh, Jerusalem. They've got an appointment. They've got business. They've got things to do. And this priest, he sees this man, and he has to make a decision. Am I going to stop and help him, or am I going to continue on with what I'm doing? And he chooses to pass on the other side, to go by on the other side, he just couldn't be bothered. Notice verse 32. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him. Now you've got a Levite. A Levite would be like the helper of the priest. The Levite would be another person that uh, lives in a spiritual context. And the Bible says in verse 32, and likewise, the Levite, when he he saw at that place, came and uh, looked on him, and passed by on the other side. Again, too busy. Couldn't be bothered. Had somewhere to be. Had somewhere he was expected. Notice verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, notice these words, as he journeyed. And here's what I want you to understand. This man was not out for a walk. This man was not out because, you know, this is what he does every morning. He walks around the neighborhood for exercise, and he's retired, and he doesn't really have uh, anything going on. This, This Samaritan was on a journey. He was traveling. He was expected somewhere. He had business somewhere. He had something he had to do somewhere. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And the Bible tells us he stops, and he helps him. And what I want you to understand, the first lesson I want you to notice from this uh, Good Samaritan is this, that love requires you and love requires me to be selfless. Love requires us to be selfless, not selfish, selfless, not self-centered. See, the reason that I think you and I in the society we live in, in this microwave, drive-through, internet, high-speed, you know, society that you and I live in, the reason that we struggle with loving our neighbor as ourselves, the reason we struggle with loving other people, you know, in the same way that we love ourselves is because we're too centered on self. And see, the Bible tells us here that when you are preoccupied, when you are busy, when you've got things to do, when you've got a to-do list, and there's all sorts of things on that, and you're going down the road, and you you just got to get things done. You're on a journey, you're expected somewhere, you've got business, you've got things to do. At at that moment, when an opportunity presents itself to love someone, we've got to decide whether we will be selfish or selfless. And I'm not. I'm not necessarily just preaching to you uh, this morning. This, this is. This is me. I believe in being organized, and I believe in having a plan. And every, uh, you know, you you can you can uh, look in my briefcase and and grab my notebook that I carry around with me. And what you'll find is uh, to do list for every day uh, of the week. Every every day before I finish my work, I write the next day's to do list. And my to do list uh, almost never get done completely. You know, I've got eight or nine things on those lists, and whatever doesn't get done on Monday will get transferred over to Tuesday. And I, I am busy. I and I'm the type of person where I don't want to stop. You know, I got things to do. I've, I've got places to be and I, I can't just sit there and talk for a long time or I can't sit there and be on the phone for a long time. I, I've just got things that need to be done. But see, in our culture today, and you're busy too. I understand that. You've got things to do and you've got people that expect you and you've got areas you got of responsibility that you have. But listen, in your life and in my life, we must learn and we must understand that what love requires of us is to be selfless. What love requires of us is to be willing to redirect our plans. What love requires of us is to be willing to say, I-, I had somewhere I had to be. I had a business I had to take care of. I ha- I'm on a journey, but I'm going to take a break from that journey and help this individual. See, the lesson we can learn from the Good Samaritan is that he was selfless. Not only was he selfless when he was preoccupied, he was also selfless when he didn't necessarily have a reason to want to help. In fact, he might have had a few reasons to not want to help. See, what the Bible tells us here, if you look at verse number 30 of Luke chapter 10, notice what the Bible says. And Jesus answering said, this is Jesus telling the story. And he says, a certain man, notice he says, just a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, here's what I want you to understand, okay? If I were to say to you, if I were to say, hey, let me tell you a story. A certain man went from uh, Sacramento to Fresno. Now, if I didn't give you any other information than that, you would probably assume that I'm talking about someone who lives in Sacramento, traveling down to Fresno. You would probably assume that I'm just talking about a person who lives in the state of California. You would probably assume that I'm just talking about an American. I mean if I didn't say to you, you know, there was a Portuguese man that went down from, you know, if I didn't say to you, there 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 was, you know, a Russian man that went if I just said to you, hey, a certain guy, he was just going from Sacramento, you'd probably just assume, oh, it's just a a resident of Sacramento. It's just someone that lives here. It's a it's an American. It's a, it's a it's a Californian. Jesus says to these because he's talking to Israelites when he gives a story. And he says, a certain man, and here's what you got to understand. The assumption in their minds would be, when he's speaking to this Jewish crowd, that he's talking about a fellow Jew. From, he, he says he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jewish cities. Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. And they would just assume this is, a, this is a man like one of us. This is a, a Jewish man. This is a man of our community. And he says, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Notice verse 33. But a certain, notice these words, Samaritan. See, he he, he gives us these details for a reason. This is a key detail, because as soon as Jesus would speak the words, a certain Samaritan, their, their ears would open up. They would say, oh, this is different. This is not one of us. This is not just another Jew. This is not just another resident of Jerusalem. He says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion on him. And you would maybe ask, well, what's the big deal about a Samaritan? You're there in in the book of Luke. Uh, Keep your place there. That's obviously our text for this morning. Go with me to the book of John, just the next book over. John chapter number 4. And let me just show you something. I don't have time to go into the history of the Samaritans, but uh, you need to understand this. The Samaritan people were looked down by the Jewish people as half-breeds. They were considered half-Jew, half-Gentile. And I think in some ways the only, thing, the only thing that makes you worse than being a, a, a Gentile in, in their minds was being a half-Jew and being a half-Gentile. And they and there's a whole history there. You can read about it in the Old Testament when the kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was overtaken by the Assyrians. Later on, the southern kingdom was overtaken by the Babylonians. But that northern kingdom, when it was overtaken by the Assyrians, the Assyrians, what they did is they mixed the people. They, they, they brought in their Assyrian people and they, they forced them to marry and they, they, they basically destroyed the, the Jewish you know, seed there in that northern kingdom. So... From then on, the Jews from the southern kingdom would look at those Samaritans and they would look at them uh, as not equals. They would look at them as not uh, the same. They would look down on them. In fact, notice what the Bible says here in John chapter number four. In John chapter four, you have this famous story of the woman at the well. Remember the woman at the well? I'm not going to take time to develop the whole thing, but just look at verse number nine. Then say the woman of Samaria. See, earlier in the passage, Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Jesus is traveling through Samaria, and then saith the woman of Samaria unto him. Now, the him there is Jesus. And notice what she says to him. She says, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She, she, she says, you're, you know, Jesus says, hey, can I have something to drink? And he says, well, wait a minute, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we're not supposed to be talking to each other says, the Jews don't don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews don't have any friendships with the Samaritans. The Jews look down at the Samaritans. You look at us as as being less than you. You look at us as being inferior than you. And the woman at the well, she's saying to Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, you're even talking to me? A woman of Samaria. you got to understand the context of the culture at this time. The Samaritans were not friends. The Samaritans were not considered neighbors. But Jesus says a certain Samaritan. Go back to Luke chapter number 10. He says a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was and when he saw him he had compassion on him. It's hard for us to kind of grasp this in in America in 2016, but allow me to give you an illustration. The the, the best idea that I can maybe give you is imagine if you were a black man that was living in the late 1950s or early 1960s in the Deep South. Imagine if you were a black man, a businessman on a journey in Alabama in 1957, and you happen to walk by a white man on the road in a pool of blood. Now, you don't know that that white man's a racist, but it would not be too far-fetched for you to tell yourself, I don't know that this man would help me if the situation was reversed. See, the Samaritan, when he saw this Jew, he would, he would immediately think to himself, if the situation was reversed, if it was me in the, in, the, in the blood of pool, if it was me over on the side of the ditch, if it was me wounded and stricken and, and left half dead, I'm not sure, I'm not sure That this Jewish man would help me. And see, the Samaritan at that moment had to make a decision. He had to decide, will I be like this Levite? Will I be like this priest? Will I just cross the street and pass over on the other side? And he had to ask himself this question, what does love require of me? What does love require me to do in this moment? Because see, loving Jesus would later on say, you know, it's easy to love those that love us. It's easy to give to those that give to us. But Jesus would confront this idea of love when he would state the words, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. See, loving is not love when we get something from it. Loving is not love when when, when it's people who love us. But true love, true love is selfless love. Even when it means loving someone who might potentially not love you back. Even when it means loving someone who may potentially be your enemy. Even when it's a very real and it's a true reality that if the roles were reversed, this man might not stop to help me. This Samaritan had to ask himself this question What does love? What does love require of me? See, love is selfless. Keep your finger there in Luke. And go with me to the book of uh, Romans, Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Let me show you. Some passages, John, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And please understand the illustration. I'm not saying every white man in 1959 was a racist. I don't believe that. But a black man would have had to ask himself that question. In 1959 in Alabama. In 1959 in Mississippi. And the Samaritan man had to ask himself this question. What does love require of me? Romans chapter 12 and verse number 10 says this. Be kindly affection one to another. With brotherly love, notice, with brotherly love in honor, this is what love does, preferring one another. See, love puts other people first. Love allows their needs to come before mine. Love allows me to to redirect my schedule, to say, uh, I'm busy, but that's not as important right now. Because, see, what love requires of you and what love requires of me is that we be selfless. Go with me to the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter number 19, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Third book in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19. I want to show you the very first time this... Thought appears in the Bible of love thy neighbor as thyself. Today, the liberals would have you believe that the God of the Old Testament was this angry, mean God. And the God of the New Testament is a loving God. Hey, listen, it's the same God. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same God of the Old Testament, the same God of the New Testament. Both gods require uh, uh, separation. Both gods require uh, uh, holiness. And, and both, the New Testament and Old Testament, teaches us to love one another. Notice what Leviticus 19.18 says, Thou shalt not avenge. We've been talking a lot about that in our First Samuel series with the story of David. Thou shalt not avenge, revenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. I'm, I'm shocked how often people will hold a grudge against someone. Well, you said this to me 8 years ago, and that really offended me. You didn't, you didn't acknowledge my gift I gave you 8 months ago, and I'm so upset about it. Notice what he said. He said, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. See, love requires us to be selfless, even when others have hurt you, even when you want to avenge yourself, even when you want to hold that grudge, even when you're not really sure if they would do for you what love is requiring you to do for them. Love requires you and I to be selfless. Number two, go, to Luke, go, go back to Luke chapter number 10. I said number one, love requires us to be selfless. Number two, I'd like you to notice that love requires us to show sympathy. Love requires that you and I show sympathy. Notice Luke chapter 10, verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, notice what the Bible says, he had compassion on him. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one telling the story. But this story reminds me a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Keep your finger there in Luke 10 and go backwards to the book of Matthew. If you're there in Luke, you'll go past the book of Mark into the book of Matthew. Notice what the Bible says about Jesus. Now, Jesus said that the Samaritan saw the man and he had compassion on him. The Bible tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. It uses the same terminology, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. The Bible says, but when he, that's Jesus, but when he, notice, saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. You see that word compassion? On them. Why was he moved with compassion? He saw their need because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. The Bible says that Jesus, when he saw the multitude, when he saw the crowd, when he saw the people, when he saw their need, that they fainted. They were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He was moved with compassion. See, the problem with you and I is we, we will sit there and say, well, I have compassion for the lost. I, I, I don't want people to die and go to hell. I want marriages to be uh, uh, reestablished, and I want children to be raised in a godly home, and I want to see God do something great in this community, but we're not willing to move. We're not willing to get up. In theory, we'll say, well, yeah, I, I'd like to see people get saved all over Natomas, but you're not willing to show up for soul winning. But you're not willing to get off the couch. You're not willing to get get out of the house. You're not willing to go. See, the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Let me ask you a question. The question is not, do you have compassion? The question is, do you have enough compassion to do something about it? Are you moved with compassion? Because this man, see, he saw him and he had compassion on him. And love requires you and I to show sympathy. Go to the book of 1 John. There's so many verses on this subject of love. I'm going to show you as many as I can this morning, but I I had to cut so many out. But go to 1 John chapter number 3. Now, if you start at the end of the New Testament, you got the book of Revelation. If you go backwards, you got Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. Okay, 1 John's a small book. Right at the end of the New Testament, you go Revelation, Jude, and you got 3, 2, and 1 John. Look at 1 John chapter number 3 and look at verse number 16. Now, what's interesting is this. Notice the similarities. We all know the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now notice what 1 John chapter three and verse sixteen says. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. John three sixteen tells us about how God laid down His life for us. 1 John three sixteen tells us about how we should lay down our lives for the brethren. Notice verse fifteen. But whoso hath this world's goods, this is a man of resources, this is a woman of resources, this is someone that has money, has possessions, they have this world's goods, says, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need, they see the need, they see, they see them fainting. They see them scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They, they see them lying there in a, in a, in a pool of blood, and not, maybe not physically, but they see the fact that these people, they need help. Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have needs, notice what the Bible says, and shutteth up his vows of compassion from him. It says, I'm not going to be sympathetic. I'm not going to show mercy. I'm not going to be compassionate. I have the resources. I have the means. I have the ability. I can help them, but I'm too busy. I feel bad, but not bad enough to move. I feel bad, but not bad enough to do anything about it. Notice what he said. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? See, here's the truth about love. As it moves you, it requires you to show sympathy. You're there in 1 John chapter 3. Keep going backwards to, to the New Testament. Uh, past the book of 1 John, you got 2 Peter. Go into 1 Peter chapter number 3. Look at verse 8. 1 Peter chapter number 3 and verse 8. You're there in, 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 3, in, in uh, 1 John. Just go backwards. You'll have 2 Peter, then 1 Peter. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 8. Notice what the Bible says. Finally, be ye all of one mind. Notice what he says. Having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Now, being pitiful in the Bible doesn't mean, like, you're pitiful. It means, like, showing pity on someone. It means, like, showing compassion on someone. It means to love someone. He says, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Go back to Luke chapter number 10. While you go there, let me read for you out of the book of Lamentations. In the book of Lamentations, you have the prophet Jeremiah, who just witnessed the destruction of of his nation. And he prophesied it, and now he's seen it in the book of Jeremiah, and in the book of Lamentations, he's lamenting what happened. That's what the book of Lamentations is about. And he makes a statement, he says, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? He says, those of you that are walking by, and it reminds me of that priest, it reminds me of that Levi. He says, those of you that are walking by and you see the state of our nation, you see the fact that people are in need, you see the fact that houses have been destroyed and families have been destroyed and children have been taken captive, and you just walk on by anyway. He says, is it nothing to you, all the ye that pass by The same question we have to ask ourselves today in America in 2016. As you see the state of our society, and you see the state of our nation, see the state of the marriages and the children being raised in the country that you and I live in, does it mean anything to you? Does it arouse any sympathy in your heart at all? Because, see, love requires you, and love requires me to be selfless. To say, you know what, there is something I could do on a Saturday morning, but I'm going to be selfless. I'm going to redirect my schedule, and I'm going to go reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, love requires you and I to show sympathy, to have compassion, to not just look at the need and say, yeah, there's a real need there. Man, people are dying to go to hell there. Man, people could really be helped there. I could really help those individuals. I've got the resources. I've got the finances. I've got the things. I've got the skills. i can help them. Love requires you. To move. Number three. If you're there in Luke chapter 10, notice verse 34. And went to him. That's the Samaritan. That's action. He didn't just see him. He went to him. He didn't just see him. He took action. He moved and went to him. Notice what he does. And bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. You know what love requires of you and I? Not only does love require you to be selfless, not only does love require you to show sympathy, love requires for you and I to be servants, to serve others. See, he saw him. He was moved with compassion on him. He went to him, and then he served him. He set him on his own beast, making his own resources available. He brought him into an inn, and he took care of him. That's what you and I are supposed to do. You and I are supposed to go out and serve those. You say, but but, but, but but you don't understand. He, he wouldn't do that for me. But see, love is not something that you do, you know, as long as they're going to do back for me. And I'm going to give as long as you give back to me. That's not love. Love does with no expectation. Love does when you're not even sure that they would do for you. Love serves with no expectation of, ret, of being returned. Please go with me to the book of Galatians. Let me share a few verses with you. Galatians chapter number five. You're there in Luke. You're going to go past the book of John, Acts, Romans, First, Second Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter number five. See the idea that you and I have about love today is it's 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 an odd. It's not it's foreign to the Word of God. You and I consider love. You know, I love those who love me, and I love those who I get along with, and I love people that are just like me. They like the things that I like. They dress the way that I dress. They look like I do. They think like I think. And those are the people that I love. And that's how usually fundamental Baptists act. Well, I love, as long as you agree with me on everything, as long as we can go right down the line on every little doctrine, every little thing, then you're my friend. But you, you, you think it's pre trip. I, I don't know about that. But see, God says our job is to love those. Even those that might not love us back. Even those that might not do good for us. Galatians chapter 5, are you there? Look at verse 6. Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd, Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. He says, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. He said, I don't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile. He said, Jesus Christ, none of that matters. Neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. But faith, notice, but faith which worketh by love. See, the only thing required for salvation is faith. You don't have to serve to be saved. You don't have to do anything to be saved. By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of work. There's nothing I have to do to be saved. You said, well, then why do you work? Why do you go? Why do you serve? Why do you sacrifice? It's one word, love. Notice what he says, Galatians 5, 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. See, you don't know what You say, well, you don't, need, you don't need to work in order to be saved. I never said you did. But you know why your faith doesn't work? Because you don't have love. You know how people who have faith work anyway, even though they don't have to, because of one word, love? Look down at verse number 13, same chapter, Galatians 5, 13. It says, for brethren, ye have been called into liberty. He said, Brethren, you have been called into liberty. You don't have to do anything. You're free. You're not required to do anything. You're not anybody's servant. Nobody's forcing you to do anything. He said, For brethren, you have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You say, Well, Pastor, I don't understand. I come to Verity Baptist Church. You sit there and tell me I don't have to repent of my sins. There's nothing I can do to lose my salvation. There's no work I have to do. There's nothing, uh, no no church attendance I have to go to. There's nothing I have to do to be saved. But yet when I come here, you tell me, come to church on Sunday night. Come to church on Wednesday night. Go soul winning. Read your Bible. Love others. Serve others. And you're asking me to do all these works. Because the Bible says that love serves others. Notice verse 13. For brethren, you haven't called them to liberty. You don't have to do anything. Only use not that liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law, don't miss this, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, what, what word is that? It's love. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What motivates us to work? What motivates us to give? What motivates us to sacrifice? What motivates us to spend? What motivates us to do these things? It's this idea, love, because see, love requires you to serve. You're there in Galatians. Go to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, you're in Galatians, go past the book of Ephesians, into <laughs> Philippians, Colossians, and then 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. And I know that some people would maybe look at a sermon like this and say, I don't know, Pastor, you're going kind of liberal, talking so much about love. It's been two weeks now you've been talking about love. <laughs> be surprised how much the Bible talks about love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, look at verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. Remembering without ceasing your notice these words, work of faith and labor of love. Don't tell me you love when you don't labor. Don't tell me you love when you don't serve. Oh, I, I love. What, what are you doing for God? Well, you know, I'm just kind of not doing much, then you don't love. Do you know what love does? It works. Faith doesn't have to work, but love does. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. The question that you and I have to answer every day of our lives is, how can I serve others? How can I love my neighbor as myself? How can I treat? Because here's what love requires of you. Love requires you to be selfless. Love requires for you to show sympathy. Love requires for you to serve and to be a servant. Can you head back to Luke chapter number 10? Luke chapter number 10, look at verse number 35. Let me show you one more thing that love requires from this parable. We said number one, love requires you to be selfless. Number two, love requires you to show sympathy. Number three, love requires you to be a servant. Number four, love requires you to sacrifice. Love requires you to sacrifice. Luke chapter 10, look at verse 35. Notice what the Bible says. And on the morrow... When he departed, the Samaritan has now taken the Jewish man to the inn. He bound up his wounds. He uh, took care of him, but he had to leave because he was a busy man. And on the morrow when he departed, notice what the Bible says, he took out two pence, that's money, and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. You know what love does? It sacrifices. He took his money and said, I'm going to use this money. It belongs to me. I can use this for my own pleasure, for the things that I want, but I'm going to spend it on this guy. No guarantee that he'll pay it back. No guarantee that he'll, he's not even going to ask him to pay it back. He said, I'm just going to, here's what love does. It's spent. Here's what love does. It sacrifices. See, you cannot love without giving. Again, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world. Notice that he gave. Because that's what love does. It gives. That's what love does. It spends. That's what love does. It sacrifices. You can't. Don't tell me you love if you don't sacrifice. Love requires sacrifice. Go to John chapter number 15. You're there in Luke. Just go one book over. John chapter 15. Look at verse 12. Notice what Jesus said. John chapter 15 and verse number 12. He says, this is my commandment. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Greater love hath no man than this. Because love sacrifices. Love does not only love when it is convenient. Love does not only love when there's something in it for me. Love does not only love as long as, you know, I can tell other people or boast to other people, as long as I look like I'm this great Christian. Love loves even when it costs you something even when it's sacrifice. I don't know if I told you to keep your place there, but could you go back to 1 John chapter 3? If, if, you, if, you, if you get back there, keep your place there, because we're going to leave it, and we're going to come right back to it. 1 John chapter 3, and look at verse number 16. I just wanted to read it to you again, but I'm going to show you something else from 1 John 3. But notice what he says. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives. For the brethren. See, love requires you to sacrifice. Paul said this, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Because love sacrifices. Love requires you to sacrifice and love requires you to serve and love requires you to show sympathy and love requires you to be selfless and to put others first and to redirect your own schedule. You say, well, I'm busy. I, I know you're busy. We're all busy. But here's the question. What does love require of you? Can you go back to uh, Luke chapter 10? Look at verse number 36. He your place there in 1 John, all right? We're going to come right back to it. Jesus gives this parable. What, a, what, a, what an answer. The question is, you know, well, who is my neighbor? Willing to justify myself. Well, who is my neighbor? Who is that person that I'm supposed to, you know, give to? And who's that person that I'm supposed to help? And who's that person that I'm supposed to love? Who is my neighbor, Jesus? Willing to justify himself. And Jesus gives a tremendous answer in this parable of the Good Samaritan. I want you to notice the application that Jesus makes to his sermon. Luke chapter 10, look at verse 3, 6. He, he ends the story of the Good Samaritan. Then he asks a question in return. He says, which now of these three? The Levite, the priest, the Samaritan. He says, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said... He that showed mercy on him. You see, it wasn't his countrymen. It wasn't even the religious leaders. It might have been someone that he would have considered an enemy, but the one that showed him mercy, that was his neighbor. Then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. See, here's what you got to understand about about love, and here's what you got to understand about... Uh, about this idea of love. Keep, keep your finger there in Luke. We're going to come right back to it. We're almost done, all right? We're, we're, we're not going to be much longer. But I, I want you to understand something about love. Go, go to the book of Romans, uh, chapter number 13. You're there in Luke, Acts, Romans, Romans 13. So here's what you got. You got Luke 10, you got Romans 13, you got 1 John chapter 3. We're almost done. I just want to show you this idea is about love. Uh, you know, I don't know when's the next time I'm going to preach on love. So uh, you we just got to show it to you now, okay? Romans chapter 13, look at verse 8. Actually, Romans 13, look at verse 10, okay, real quickly. Romans chapter 13, look at verse 10. Notice the subjects about love. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is a fulfilling of the law. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is a fulfilling of the law. Love fulfills the law because it does not hurt others. It worketh no ill to his neighbor. All right, now I want you to notice in verse number eight. Now, in Romans 13 8, that's the verse we normally go to, uh, at least I normally go to, when preaching on the subject of finances. Notice what he says Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another uh, hath fulfilled the law. Now, usually when I come to this verse, I'm preaching on finances and I'm telling you, hey, the Bible says, oh, no man anything. You need to get out of that. You need to g- cut up those credit cards. You need to, you know, learn to live within your means. And you got to, you know, God doesn't want you to owe anyone. And, and that's true. And I'm not preaching on finances, but listen, you got to get out of debt, okay? You know one of the reasons you can't sit there and love someone? You know one of the reasons you can't sit there and help? You know why you can't be a good Samaritan? You can't take time off of work for soul winning? Time off of work for a special mission trip? Time off. You know why you can't? Because you're so strapped for cash, You can't take any time off of work. You, you don't have, a you, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to offend you, but you know, one of the reasons that the good Samaritan was able to be the good Samaritan, he had some money in his pocket to be able to pay for a hotel. He had a, he had a beast he was riding on. Look, you got you to get your finances in order so you can help others, not so you can live in a bigger house and spend more money, so you can serve others. You can have this world's goods and have compassion on those that could use it. And have compassion on those. Jesus taught us to, to, he says, they that are rich in this world, be not high-minded. He says, be willing to distribute, willing to, willing to communicate. Anyway, I'm not preaching about that. Look at verse eight. Owe no man anything but to love one another. See, I've, I've been asking this question today and in last week. What does love require of you? And here's why I've been asking the question. Because the Bible tells us here, even if you're completely out of debt, even if you owe no one anything, God says there is something that you owe and that I owe every man, woman, and child we come across, and that is to love them. He says, owe no man anything but to love one another. He says, you'll never stop owing love. You will always owe love. You'll always be in debt of loving others and loving your neighbor. He says, he says get out of all the other debt. He says, owe oh, no man, anything. But you'll never get out of this debt but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And here's what he's saying. See, you know, if you have a mortgage payment or you have a credit card payment or a car payment, they require a payment from you every month. Why? Because you owe them something. You're not giving them a love offering. You're not sending in the, oh, here's the love of, just because I love, you know, I love Bank of the West so much. I'm just going to send them this, you know, this uh, $1,200. No, no, no. You owe it to them. It's required. And here's the truth. You owe love to your neighbor. You owe love to the people around you. You owe it to them. It's not an option. They, they, it doesn't matter if they deserve it. It doesn't matter if they've done anything to earn it. You owe it. Owe them love. So here's the question I have for you. What does love require of you? What does love require of you? See, it's easy to preach this sermon just in the hypothetical. It's easy to preach a sermon. In in the grand scheme of things, I think we would all say, we would all agree, you know, what love requires of me to be selfless, and love requires of me to to serve others, and love requires of me to, to sacrifice, and love requires of me to show sympathy. I think we would all agree with that. But here's the question I have for you. The next time you and your spouse are fighting, and they did something to irritate you, they did something to upset you, they did something to hurt you, They took a jab at you, and you're you're just getting ready to take a jab right back and be disrespectful, to be mean, to be rude, to cross that line. You know that line you shouldn't cross where you know what I'm about to say, it's gonna really hurt this individual. You gotta ask yourself this question what does love require of me right now? See when your children are upsetting you, and we all need to discipline our children. I believe I discipline our children. But sometimes, I don't know if you've done this, but I've certainly done this. You cross that line. You know you cross it. When you're not just disciplining now, you're just angry with your children. The Bible says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. And you know that you cross that line where you said something you shouldn't have said that, and you said word, and, and, and you see it in that child's face where you've hurt them. Right before you say those words, you've got to ask yourself this question. What does love require of me right now? When you're dealing with that fellow church member that irritates you, that upsets you, you know they're out there. I've got them. You say, Well, you're the pastor of the church. There's people in this church that irritate the fire out of me. (laughs) Sometimes I'd like to just line them all up, ask God to strengthen me like Samson, and smack each and every one of them upside their head. But before you do that, you gotta ask this question. What does love require of me right now? When you've got that coworker that's vying for your job, and they just humiliated you in front of the boss? And they just tried to make you look bad? Because they want that promotion? And you know you deserve it? You gotta ask the question What does love? What does love require of me? When you're tired on a Saturday morning? And you say, I really know I should go out there soul winning because people are dying and going to hell and they'd get saved if I'd go out there. They'd get saved and i present the gospel to them. They'd get saved if somebody would just share the gospel with them. But I am so tired. And I am so cozy. And I am so comfortable. When you think about that lost and dying world out there that will spend eternity in hell because no one brought them the gospel, you've got to ask yourself this question, what does love require of me right now? because he love requires something of you and love requires something of me it requires us to be selfless it requires us to show sympathy it requires us to serve and it requires us to sacrifice i'd like to show you just one more thing i think this is the most powerful part of this text if you look at luke chapter 10 verse 37 notice what jesus says he he gives us powerful Answer this powerful story. He brings the application home. And then he says this. And then he says this. To the, he, he, he gets it to connect. He asks the question, you know, well, well who was neighbor unto him? And he says, well, well, he that showed mercy on him. And then Jesus makes one of the most powerful statements I think that you can make after this amazing story. In verse 37, he says, and he said, he that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him. Don't miss this. Underline it in your Bible. Go and do thou likewise. He said, do what that Samaritan did. He said, you go and do that. you got to understand I, I, I wish I had, I said my wife last night, uh, we, we were talking in the evening and I was talking about my sermon I was saying, I, I wish I had the, the ability to communicate this truth. I, I know that I'm not going to do it justice, but you've got to understand the world that Jesus was living in. Jesus was living in a world where it was common belief and it was common knowledge that you take a tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye and Jesus steps into that world and he says no 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 no! don't take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth he says turn the other cheek Jesus stepped into a world where a woman was seen as no more than a possession where a woman was seen as not, not a person, but she just belonged. She was just a possession of her husband. And Jesus and his teaching would step into that world. And Paul would say in that society, he would say, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself for it. They, they lived in this Roman world and in this Greek world where the, the gods were upset with you and the gods were mad at you and you bring them a sacrifice to appease them and maybe the harvest will be good and maybe our health will be okay if we can just keep God from being angry. And Jesus steps into that world and says, no, 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 you don't understand. God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave. You don't have to give to him. He gave to you. See, the reason that 2,000 years ago a man, the God-man, stepped into a society, and we're still talking about him today, is because the impact of love on the society that he lived in was so powerful. It was so unseen. It was so unheard. It made such a difference that people would say of those early disciples, they would say these that have turned the world upside down. Could you just imagine with me for a minute? Could you just dream with me for a minute? I don't know how many people we have here this morning. This morning, I got three phone calls about three different families that weren't coming to church because they were sick. I'd ask you to pray for them. I I would assume we have somewhere between 140 and 150 people here this morning, and that's that's not a lot, but it's something. Could you imagine what would happen in this community if 140 people walked out of this church this morning and said, from here on out, I will ask this question. What does love require of me? When I walk by the, by the enemy lying in a pool of blood, and I'm not sure that he would help me, I'm gonna ask this question what does love require of me? I mean, could you could you imagine the impact that could be made in this community if you and I just said, I won't live for self, I won't live for selfishness, I'll redirect my schedule, I'll do, I'll sacrifice, I'll give, I'll serve, I'll spend, I'll do whatever needs to be done. Because love requires something of you and me. What's the impact that we can make? You know why we're not making that impact? And I'm speaking for myself. You know why we're not making that impact? We're too busy, too preoccupied, just don't have time, just can't be bothered. But we must ask this question, what does love require of me? As far as have a word